Happy Wednesday, everybody, and welcome to the Get Your Goat podcast. Excited to be here. A lot to talk about today. NFL, even with the Panthers trading for Sam Darnold, could they still draft a quarterback with the number eight pick? Recap of the national championship game, Baylor versus Gonzaga. What happened? One went down. Firing of a head coach in college basketball. NBA news. My top five NHL teams. Then some more hockey talk. And then we'll finish off with some baseball as well. Let's get into it. Let's start with the Panthers drafting a quarterback. Could they still do it with the number eight overall pick? Well, yes, they could. They could do anything. With the eight overall pick. Uh, but would they like the options? Uh, I think before they even get to the number eight pick, you have Trevor Lawrence going number one with Jacksonville. He's off the board. Number two, Zach Wilson with the Jets. He's off the board. Looks like the 49ers could draft one. Justin Fields or Mac Jones. That would take another one. Off the board. And then Falcons have a fourth pick. They're interested in trading down. A quarterback hungry team could come and get them like the Broncos. Maybe the Patriots. What would they want to do with their pick? Are they interested in trading as well? Or if the Falcons even want to draft their successor to Matt Ryan. So it really leaves them in play for you know probably one... Maybe a second quarterback, if they feel he would be better than Donald, it would be, you know, with Trey Lance. And then either one of the two, I believe, Mac Jones and Justin Fields. Would they prefer one of those players over Sam Darnold? And right now, the Panthers have a lot of holes on their team. Uh, on offense, they need uh, offensive line help. Uh, analysts have Rashawn Slater going there. They also need defensive help. Micah Parsons, to me, is one of the best defensive players on the board watching him at Penn State. Uh, he was amazing. Uh, they could certainly use him as well. But I don't think the Panthers should draft a quarterback in this spot. They gave up a decent amount for Sam Darnold. So to me, it doesn't make sense. I could see them actually trading back a spot or two, reacquiring some picks, trading Teddy Bridgewater, making some picks. Uh, This is a deep wide receiver draft as well. If they trade down a few picks, they could still get a solid wide receiver or offensive line help uh, and work with what they have. See if Stan Darnold's a man. Christian McCaffrey is coming back healthy last year. When healthy, he's an MVP candidate. They're looking like they might have a number one wide receiver in DJ Moore, a deep threat in Robbie Anderson. Boost up the offensive line a bit. Boost up the terrible defense that they have. And then really evaluate Sam Darnold from there. If you end up doing terrible next year, guess what? You'll probably have a top five pick and you could draft a quarterback coming out of next year's class. So to me, the Panthers have a lot of flexibility in what they could do. But I do not think they should draft a quarterback at all. I think they should try it out with Sam Darnold, which is funny because Robbie Anderson was on the Jets. Same with Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold left, played with Teddy Bridgewater, and now it's come full circle. And Sam Darnold is back, reunited with Robbie Anderson. And then it looks like Teddy Bridgewater will also be on the move. Uh, which was also another concern for the Panthers drafting a quarterback. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater has been uh, granted his wish to uh, evaluate, go to other teams, uh, look for a trade. So I don't think Teddy Bridgewater will stay there. And I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is a starting quarterback in the league. I think he's a bridge quarterback to where he can start for a few games or maybe a year to bring him a next guy, but he's also the perfect backup 
So there's plenty of destinations. There could be, even if you want to start, I think the football team would be the biggest one uh, since they made the playoffs last year, even with their terrible record. They're in a market for a quarterback, but they don't have a high draft pick because of making the playoffs. The football team has Kyle Allen, Ryan Fitzmagic, and Taylor Heineke on their team. To me, Teddy Bridgewater would be the best candidate between him and Fitzmagic. And you could see Ryan Fitzpatrick and Teddy Bridgewater kind of go off, you know, take the ride the hot hand like the Dolphins did last year. To me, that's a very sensible trade. I don't think you'd have to give up a lot for Teddy Bridgewater because I think the Panthers overpaid Teddy Bridgewater to begin with. Uh, so that won't affect the decision at all. You have the Patriots as well. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater kind of fits that, you know, Cam Newton mold a little bit more spread. Teddy Bridgewater's agile to me right now. Uh, he makes a little bit more uh, better throws in the pocket. Uh, yes, he had a brutal injury, but he doesn't have the wear and tear that Cam Newton has. But if he wants to just be a backup, be a good backup, you know, there's always a chance of injury. Every t- team should have a good quarterback backup if, you know, they're allowed. Uh, and I think Teddy Bridgewater, I know this won't happen, but I believe the Seahawks, this would be in the best Seahawks' best interest, is to sign Teddy Bridgewater. Why do I think that? Well, their backup right now for the Seahawks is Geno Smith. And Geno Smith is not a good quarterback. If you remember the disaster with the New York Jets out of West Virginia, where he played a totally different type of offense there, which didn't work out for him in the Jets, didn't do well. Then he traveled around as been of a backup for Russell Wilson with the Seattle Seahawks, but he's not really a good, capable quarterback. If Russell Wilson were to get injured, you know, your season's already lost when a player of that caliber who is so high, uh, gets injured. But you can at least remediate some of that damage if you have a good backup. And Geno Smith is not that guy. I believe Teddy Bridgewater is. We saw what Teddy Bridgewater did uh, last year with the New Orleans Saints when uh, Drew Brees was injured. And I believe he filled in uh, five games or so, started five games. And they went 5-0 and in the five games that he started. Uh, had a 68% completion percentage. Uh, threw for over 1,000 yards. Uh, nine touchdowns to two interceptions. Had a Q uh, quarterback rating, or in my bad, a passer rating of 99, which is pretty decent. Uh so to me, he is a good, capable backup. If he fits within the system, he fit perfectly to me in the New Orleans Saints uh, system much better than he did this year in Carolina. Uh, but you see, he is a good quarterback. Uh, his rookie year with the Vikings, he went 6-6, uh, six and six, didn't start all games. Second year with the Vikings in that system, went 11-5. and five. Over 3,000 yards passing, 14 touchdowns. Then he had his uh, terrible uh, knee injury. Was basically out two seasons, and he came back 5-0. and And then last year, he had a terrible year, and uh, which is no credit due to him. Their best player, Christian McCaffrey, was hurt all the year. Really didn't open anything up for him. And they had a terrible defense and offensive line, which didn't help. Uh, Seahawks have a terrible offensive line, but he'd be playing a backup like he did in New Orleans. And I believe that is best suited for him. But I just want to applaud the Panthers on this classy move, allowing Teddy Bridgewater to kind of analyze teams, explore his own offers, and kind of bring that information back to the Panthers. Uh, Major props to them. Then Tom Brady had an interview this morning where he realized there was... Another way, another way to win, another way to do things. Uh, being in one place for 20 years, you know, he was only used to one way, so he was able to go somewhere else and see people do things another way. 
And I think it was uh, great for him. I think, you know, there is a little part of Tom Brady uh, in him that, you know, he knew how much he contributed uh, to the Patriots' uh, 20-year run, their long dynasty. He knew uh, what he contributed, but it was always that pulling factor of, is it me? How much is it my contributions? How much is it Belichick and actually the system, Robert Kraft, et cetera, et cetera, offensive coordinators and all that? How much really is it me? How much more so is it those other guys? And I think he realized this year was that was his motivation was to win and prove that it was him. He was able to do that, but I also think he had more fun doing it this year than any of the 20 years that he had in the past. Uh, he talked about Bruce Arians being a great motivator, and I believe that. Do I think he's the greatest coach? No, I don't. I don't think he's a top five coach in the league either. But I do think he's one of the best motivators in the game, uh, much more so than Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick's, you know, that Emperor Palpatine, strategic type guy in the hoodie and the vest, uh, whereas Bruce Arians is the loudmouth talking, delegating to assistants and coordinators, more focused on the team, but, you know, I'm going to motivate you. I'm going to tell you you can do this better. You can do this in good spirit. And I think that was good uh, for Tom Brady as well. Uh, going to a different place, winning, winning football games. It's not like, you know, you realize there, there was another way. He was still doing his profession of playing football. It was just for another team. Yes, they were to do things differently. But the core of what you do remained the same. It's like... Uh, if you're a teacher, you know, at one school district, you go to another school district, you're still teaching, you're still working with kids, maybe it's your same grade, but you're dealing with different people, different system, but you're still teaching. To me, that's essentially what Tom Brady said. Yes, he's still great at football. I'm glad he realized there's another way, but I think it's also great for other people realize to do, for maybe those who are in bad situations, uh, places maybe they don't like working anymore. Uh, Of course, they have experience in their field. Uh, You can still work somewhere else, maybe work for a different company in that same role that you had to where you are not totally lost. You're not on your own. There is at least still some familiarity with what you are doing. Uh, it's just doing it somewhere else, and you can still have success, even more success, going somewhere else. And I think Tom Brady set a great example in that, and he had a great interview uh, on Good Morning America that I think everybody should check out. And then again, just to add to that, Tom Brady is a GOAT will forever be the GOAT in terms of football, team sports, unless there's a crazy Patrick Mahomes sighting in the next 15 years of eight or nine Super Bowls that would have to top Tom Brady's. Now, moving on to college basketball. Baylor crushed Gonzaga, absolutely crushed Gonzaga, uh, really wasn't close most of the game, uh, Gonzaga never had a lead, Baylor's largest lead was 20, and they wound up winning 86-70, to 70. Uh, Baylor played lights out. They were so efficient, especially from the three-point line. They were to 43%, and they held Gonzaga to 29%. And when you look at that, Gonzaga was one of the best offensive teams in the nation all year long. 
they usually, you know, shot at 37%, so getting help to 29% from three was not good. They may usually hold their opponents to 32%. Baylor shot 43% that really doomed the Bulldogs shooting five for 17 from three. Uh, But just from that alone, uh, Baylor was better on the line, 88% to 70%. Uh, They out-rebounded Gonzaga. I thought Gonzaga down there with Timmy, having kind of a bigger boys, uh, would pay off, but it didn't. Baylor out-rebounded them by a lot. A better ball possession, didn't turn the ball over as much. And Jalen Suggs made his shots. He came out and balled, but you could tell that wasn't the Baylor's game plan, game plan to contain Jalen Suggs. It was to contain Drew Timmy forward for the Bulldogs, who was the Zags' best player all year long. He was the man who led them in almost all categories. Their goal wasn't to shut down Jalen Suggs. It was to shut down Drew Timmy, make him feel uncomfortable. And they did that. He only attempted seven shots on the night. He was five for seven, only 12 points. Uh, they made him feel uncomfortable. They got him into foul trouble. As well, uh, he was also, looks like he was nursing an injury on the sideline. But this was domination by the Bears, both offensively and defensively. Kind of a small athletic lineup of Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler, Teague was so well. Mark Vidal played great. Flagler off a bench. I mean, this whole team dominated. It was a performance like no other in the national championship game, to me, the only one that came to mind uh, in recent years was Villanova-Michigan. I think Villanova won like 79-62, uh, dominated them thoroughly. But Michigan hung in there the first half, had a sizable lead on them until you know Villanova went on a run to end the first half and open up the second half. But other than that, in recent memory... Baylor Bears were of a better team. And to me, they were of a better team all year long than Gonzaga. Uh, these two teams were actually slated to play originally. We're going to play early on in the calendar year. Uh, but that didn't happen at all. Uh Because of the COVID situation, Baylor uh, didn't do anything, uh, couldn't play those games. But Baylor was number two in the AP poll, only four votes behind Gonzaga to start uh, preseason. And ever since then, Baylor was always number two, always had first place votes as well. Uh, they were the most consistent with teams like Michigan State, Iowa, Michigan, Villanova were switching out. Baylor always matched Gonzaga step for step, win for win. And to me, they easily uh, could have beat Gonzaga at any point in the season, except for after their uh, COVID pause. But Baylor played really well. They were in a tougher conference, tougher division. They were in the Big 12 where they had to face the likes of Oklahoma. Oklahoma State with Kate Cunningham. Texas, Kansas, uh, a plethora of West Virginia. There's so many great teams they had to face. Whereas Gonzaga got tested early. But after their non-conference schedule, their conference schedule was very weak. They weren't tested like Gonzaga was on a daily basis. That didn't help. Baylor was battle-tested and hardened, ready to go for this game. And it definitely showed that, hey, the division matters. And we see that all the time, especially in college basketball or college football, when you have a team like Alabama play Notre Dame or Washington, who their teams in their division haven't been good all season, and they beat them handily, it's you know, representation 
of how good they are and how tough their conference is as well. So if I was Gonzaga, I would look to maybe move to the Pac-12, uh, have a more difficult schedule. Maybe, you know, you can win some more games. You won't have undefeated seasons, but you'll at least be tested out. Then Arizona fired Sean Miller today. He was a head coach at the University of Arizona for the past, like, 12, 11 years or around that time. Uh, fantastic coach for the U of A. Uh, multiple college tournament uh, bids, three Elite Eights, uh, and multiple Pac-12 championships in his time. Uh, he was just a coach that couldn't get over the edge, uh, could never make it to the Final Four, even when he had great talent, uh, such as D. Will, Stanley Johnson, Aaron Gordon. Great talent, he just couldn't do it. And then capped off with this FBI probe and bribery that surrounded the Arizona program the past few years being sanctioned, uh, self-imposed bans, more bans are coming. They decided to fire him and start fresh which is good, but he was a good coach for Arizona while he lasted. So I think a lot of people are thinking Tommy Floyd, assistant for Gonzaga to come down, but I think along with that he would be a good fit, but also Josh Pastner for Georgia Tech. He is a U of A man, uh, was an assistant there as well off the bench, working with... uh, Arizona, he did good in Memphis. I think he won a conference one time, made it to multiple college tournaments in Memphis. Then he took a job at Georgia Tech and hovered around the 500 mark until this past year where he won the conference tournament. Very tough to do in the ACC, but he didn't. And then had a very tough draw with Loyola Chicago And, of course, Loyola Chicago beat him. But he is a great coach, was ACC Coach of the Year as well. Uh, I think he could definitely help the U of A uh, college basketball program shift it in the right direction, Uh, focus on winning games, being better. I think that would be great. But, again, you know, with Tommy Floyd for the assistant for Gonzaga would be a great fit. Uh, Luke Walton was mentioned as well from the Kings. Uh, staying in the Pac-12 U of A kind of frame. So Arizona, I think, has a plethora of good candidates. Of course, right now they are mired by uh, issues off the court. Uh, You know, when coach wants to come, like, how long is this ban going to be imposed where I am not going to be able to play for a national championship? Uh, Will this affect scholarships, people coming uh, to my program? Uh, But if they can get those issues sorted out, I think college uh, basketball, uh, NCAA, FBI should be on this right away. Just sanction it down so you know what the penalty is. Because Sean Miller, who was part of that probe, is gone. The assistant who was convicted is gone. Uh, So you kind of have people leaving and those players aren't even there anymore. So... To me, it's better to start fresh, maybe have just one more ban, but just leave it at that. Now, moving on to the NBA. On Monday night, I picked the game between the Knicks and the Nets. I said the Nets would win. I was liking the Knicks, but after uh, the Nets opened their mouth and said something they shouldn't have, uh, the Nets were able to win that game. So I was right about the Nets winning. Had a feeling that was going to happen. And it did. Uh, Kyrie Irving put on a show. Dropped 40 points. 7 assists. Joe Harris lethal 3-point shooting. And 8 rebounds. To match R.J. Barrett's 22 points, Julius Randle with a triple-double. This game had it all back and forth. Uh, 
action on both sides, rebounding, ball movement, fast break, uh, very evenly matched. I thought New York was going to pull it out, but they didn't. Jeff Green made two free throws, and I thought they were going to pull it out because James Harden left the game early, uh, re-aggravated that hamstring, only played a few minutes, no points in that time span. Now he's out for a more extended period of time. And I think this hurts the uh, Nets, as I said on my previous episode, I believe. But continuity, the chemistry of a team, how's this going to look when KD returns? You're going to have a month to kind of figure that out. KD is returning tonight, I believe. He'll probably be on a little minutes restriction, get back used to it. But now with that James Harden out, it just seems like a revolving door of players getting injured all the time. And I think this should worry the Nets. It should really worry them. If their players can't stay healthy, seems like it's always one or two on the court. It has never been all three. So we'll see where this injury puts James Harden out. If he's out a week, you know, that takes him to mid-month, where then you only have... A month left or, you know, 30 days. You'll have from around April 15th to the May 15th mark to close up a regular season. See what happens. Is KD coming back fully healthy? Hopefully he doesn't re-injure himself again as the Nets need him to win games. I mean, need James Harden as well. If they're both injured, if it's just Kyrie, uh, this is a first-round exit. None of them first-round exit. James Harden and Kyrie, they can make it if it's just two of them. I believe they can make it to the Eastern Conference Finals and lose, but they do need all three to make it to the NBA Finals and to win the chip. So this is very concerning news for the Nets, in which they play the Pelicans tonight. They play Zion Williamson, ESPN, big-time game. I was going back and forth on this one. Pelicans playing really well. Zion dominating Lonzo Lonzo Ball also playing well. I had a tough time picking this game, but with James Harden out, KD back, it's in Barclays Center. I thought even with a restriction for Kevin Durant, I'm rolling with the Nets, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Pelicans were to come in here and win with him. But I think with Brandon Ingram out, that's going to be too much for his team, even with Kevin Durant limited. I'm rolling with the Nets. Then the Jazz versus the Sun in a huge game, one versus two in the West. Uh, this could close the gap to potentially a game, game and a half. So this is huge for the Suns in a push for the number one seed. And I'm rolling with the Suns. This is going to be a big-time matchup. Mikhail Bridges of the Suns, Donovan Mitchell going at it. Uh, They're both shooting lethal from three-point range. Mikhail Bridges a little better at 41%. Those, these two teams are on a tear, 9-1 and in their last... 10 games averaging over 115 points while keeping their opposing teams to like under 105. Both super efficient, both healthy for the most part. Stars on both sides. Suns, Devin Booker, CP3, Jay Crowder, Mikhail Bridges, uh, Utah, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Rudy Gobert, uh, Royce O'Neal, Aaron Gordon. I'm my bad. Aaron Gordon's on the Nets. Uh, Mike Conley, he's back. This is going to be a tremendous, tremendous game. But I'm rolling with the Suns, rolling with the hometown team. Uh, it's close. I want to pull with the Jazz because they have the experience. They've been the better team all year. But the Suns have been slept on. And I think they're going to show up and show out tonight. I really like the Suns. 
in this game. Now shifting to the National Hockey League. I made a pick on Monday about the Wild beating the Avalanche. And I was wrong on that. Uh, It was a high-scoring game, but Avalanche was up way too early, I believe 5-2, and they couldn't come back and win after that. They made it close at 5-4, but the Avalanche was just too much to handle for this team. So everything's tightening up now. My Penguins got demolished by the Rangers 8-4 to last night. Everybody got a goal. They were handing out goals to everybody on the Rangers. Was nowhere. There's no two goal games by everybody. Eight players on the Rangers had a goal. To me, that's very pathetic. DeSmith has been playing really great recently, except for that game against the Bruins. He looked a little shaky in their loss. Uh, with Jari coming back, I thought Jari could man the net down. That wasn't the case. He looked shaky in his return that they put in DeSmith. He looked even more shaky. This was bad Pittsburgh Penguins. There was tone turnovers. Sidney Crosby turning the puck over, you know, more times than I've seen him turn the puck over the entire year. That was very surprising. That, I think, is an anomaly. I'll take that. This defense, which has been good, both their offense forwards and their defensive defensemen. They were playing really tight as a group the last two games. They just haven't. Uh, they're not moving players out of the goalie's view. There's screens all over the place. People are redirecting off Penguins players into the net. So this is something that you got to focus on. And you can see which players like Jared McCann playing so well. Uh, the game translates to both ends of the floor. Whereas other players right now aren't doing the same. So I think this two-game losing streak is humbling for Pittsburgh. Uh, they were 5-1 and one against the Rangers going into last night against them this whole season. Uh, loss got humbled. 5-2, and two, they have one more game left. Let's make it 6-2 and two tomorrow night. See who they start in goalie. Will it be Jari or DeSmith? I think Jari should get the nod. Uh, get back into the habit. Maybe he's feeling better. Uh, it seems like Rangers have these outbursts where they score 9-8 goals a game. Against teams, and then they kind of, you know, close up the little hatch the next game. But to me, this was a big game for the Penguins. Uh, Islanders won yesterday, so they're four games behind both the Islanders and Washington with the same amount of points. But Boston winning creeps them closer to Pittsburgh. If I'm Pittsburgh, I definitely want, you know, a top three spot. You don't want to be fighting for a four spot or being in that four spot, even if you feel like it is secure. So they need to get back on the winning uh, pattern. But after tonight, tomorrow's game against the Rangers, they have a very favorable schedule for the next two weeks in which they could really have a, quite a nice streak getting into the home stretch. But they're playing well. As long as all the other teams in the East Division as well. But West also playing well. A lot of teams log jammed up there. Colorado, Vegas, Minnesota, Arizona trying to pull away with a four spot. They have a favorable uh, schedule of teams near the end of the season where it's kind of the teams around them. The Blues and them one more time. The Wild just ahead of them because they actually pass the Wild. And then, you know, the Kings and Sharks right behind them as well. That shaping up to be a great race. Also, the fourth spot in the Central Division. It seems like you kind of have three bona fide teams in each division. And each one is fighting for the last spot. In the Central, you got Florida, Carolina, Tampa Bay. But you got Nashville, Chicago, Columbus, Dallas trying to make a late push. All within that range. As well, it's going to be very interesting. But with that, I'm giving you my top five NHL teams right now. Number five, the Washington Capitals. Why? Well, they've been winning quite a few games recently. 
but it looks like the Islanders have their number, it seems like. And they have a lot of big games upcoming, especially against the Sabres. Very winnable games. Uh, so they could see this streak uh, continue. Their offense has been really good. Ovechkin, not on the scoring pace, is Austin Matthews, a uh, goal scoring. But he is contributing. He is getting goals, especially on a power play. It seems like records hurt every night, every time he scores. They're playing well. Nicholas Backstrom. TJ Oshie, Tom Wilson, Evgeny Kuznetsov, uh, their defense with Orlov is also uh, playing well in John Carlson. Vita Vanacek, when he's on, is an extremely good goalie who can be the number one. It's just, is he going to bring that every night? Uh, if he is, this team is a very formidable opponent. Number four. The Carolina Hurricanes. Why? Well, they've won two in a row. They have a huge game against the Panthers. They just beat the Panthers, but they have another one coming up next week. And then they kind of have an easy week against the bottom teams of their division. But that offense is hitting a stride. Uh, Their defense is playing well. Slavin... uh, uh, Shea, their offense, Trocek, Aho, Nikas, uh, Sneshnikov. This team is well uh, put together. We just need to see if they're ready to actually make a real deep run. Or And then number three, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Finally back in the top five. After being there for so long this season, they've been out. But their winners... Of seven of their past eight, won four in a row. Kind of, you know, escaping uh, the other teams that are behind them. Winnipeg, Edmonton, kind of cementing themselves in first place. In with the schedule they have next week, they can really do that and position themselves to be the number one team in Canada in the North. And that, I think, is really saying a lot. Then number two, I have the Colorado Avalanche, winners of six in a row. And if you want to talk about a favorable schedule, then it is the Avalanche. Not playing the Knights or the Wild a lot anymore. Focused on the bottom dwellers of the West. Colorado can really pull off a streak. And with the firepower, they have Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, Gabriel Landeskog, uh, Brandon Saad, uh, if Philip Grubauer is healthy, he plays well. This team has a shot of it all. He gets injured, he no longer has a shot. And the surprising number one team still, the Florida Panthers, who were just on a seven-game win streak, snapped to the Hurricanes, but tomorrow they play their last game against the Hurricanes, which would put one team in one or not in the division. Then they have a few more against the Lightning, sandwiched in between some easier games as well. So the Florida Panthers have just been tremendous all year long, facing adversity where Norris Trophy candidate defenseman Aaron Ekblad was injured, but they are still winning games that didn't define them. This team is just really well-balanced, led by Alexander Barkov and Jonathan Huberdeau, but gets goal-scoring from all four lines, which is the most important when you talk about the NHL playoffs. So my top five are the Washington Capitals, Carolina Hurricanes, Toronto Maple Leafs, Colorado Avalanche, and Florida Panthers. And tonight, the one game I'm picking will be the Canadians and Maple Leafs, and I'm picking the Maple Leafs to win that game. Austin Matthews, Mitchell Marner is too much. Uh, Eric Stahl, now on injured reserve for the Canadians, who did decent coming there in the trade from the Sabres, but he's out. I like the Maple Leafs in this game. Then there needs to be a Hart Trophy discussion. The Hart Trophy in the NHL is the equivalent of league MVP. That's what it is. Everybody right now 
has Connor McDavid penciled in as the MVP. Everybody is praising him, and he's playing really good. I think he'll win the Art Ross Trophy. He has 64 uh, points, and he's playing really well. He's a ton of goals right behind Austin Matthews. Uh, assists as well, but to me, Connor McDavid isn't the MVP because he has 64 points uh, with Connor McDavid, and Leon Dreisaitl has 57 points. That's his teammate. That's the person right behind him. So they have the top two players in terms of points, and when you look at other sports, especially basketball, that's not how it works out when you have you know, big two, big three, you're not typically going to win MVP because you have another MVP candidate right there helping you. In the NBA last year, you had LeBron James and Anthony Davis, two MVP candidates on the same team. Neither of them uh, won it. It went to Giannis Antetokounmpo, who kind of carried the team by himself, you know, with the help of a supporting cast, but no other big star name. On uh, the NBA this year, you know, you have uh, James Harden in contention. But if you had a full, healthy KD, Kyrie, he wouldn't be the MVP. You'd be sharing the wealth uh, as well. So to me, if you have two big-time players like that, you know, it can't be MVP because they're kind of interchangeable at one point. I would need to see what can you do without someone else. Which brings me to three players who are more deserving than Connor McDavid. To win the MVP. One. Is Patrick Kane. He. Should be one that is higher. Than. uh, The. uh, Connor McDavid for MVP. And Patrick Kane though. This is contingent. On the Blackhawks making the playoffs. If the Blackhawks make the playoffs. To me Patrick Kane. Should win. MVP. I believe he has the third most points. Uh, second and third are in assists. He's at, you know, 49, 50 points. 13 higher than the next on his team. And who is the next on his team? Who would you think that is? If you're a casual NHL fan, you might list off some names, but it's Alex Dabrinkit. Uh, you know, Kirby Doc has been injured all year, who was a rising star last year. Kubalik hasn't played to what he was in the bubble last year. Jonathan Tays. Hasn't played a single game. So to me, Patrick Kane is single-handedly helping his team make the playoffs to that home stretch. Playing well against all the teams in a loaded central division. They've had their woes against the Lightning, but they found some success against the Panthers in the Hurricanes. To me, their goaltending is the biggest problem. But Patrick Kane has tried to put his team on his back after the owner said, you know, we're going to rebuild. Patrick Kane disagreed with that, and he's proving the owner wrong that this team can win with Patrick Kane shouldering so much of a load. So I've got to give that to Patrick Kane. Another person who I believe should be ahead of Connor McDavid is Sidney Crosby. Why? He has 43 points. He's missed a couple of games. But I think he's top five in points or probably just below at six or seven. And guess what? He was just ranked the fourth best center in the NHL against the likes of McDavid, uh, Matthews, McKinnon. Because he's 33 years old. He's older. But guess what? He's carrying an injured Penguins team to the postseason. And not just that. It looks like it's a guaranteed postseason. But it's in potential to win the division to beat out the Washington Capitals, to beat out the Islanders. When you think of the Penguins, you think of Crosby and Malkin, but Malkin's been injured uh, for a good part of the year. Uh, Jason Zucker, a good forward, has been injured a lot. He most recently came back. Kasperi Kapanen's been injured. Brandon Tanev, Teddy Bluger, all these role players goaltending, being switched out and not hot. Sidney Crosby should definitely be within... MVP contention, especially not only if they take him to the East, but if he wins the East division and he carries this team and he finishes top five in points, to me it should be Kane or Crosby. Shouldn't be McDavid. 
to me. That's just normal McDavid stats that he does every year because he has Leon Dreisaitl as a running mate, healthy all year. And then finally, and then just one more thing about Crosby, it's also his defense, his defense, his face-off percentage, all the little things he does, the 200-foot game, much better than uh, McDavid. And I've got to argue that Kane as well, and he has an impressive points per game. And then lastly, I think uh, Andre Vasilevsky for the Tampa Bay Lightning. I know in the NHL, God forbid you have a goalie win MVP, but he should as he's dominating every analytical goalie stat in terms of save percentage, goals above average, wins, everything. Andre Vasilevsky is the rare rock in that who shows up night in and night out and has not had a bad performance. He was right there with Flurry, but Flurry has had a couple recent poor ones to where Andre Vasilevsky has, you know, cemented to me himself as a Vesna Trophy winner. Then, of course, you can make, uh, put Alexander Barkov in there if you want, or, you know, Nathan McKinnon. But to me, those three guys are playing better than Connor McDavid doing more for their team than Connor McDavid. That's Sidney Crosby, Patrick Kane, Andre Vasilevsky, but more so. Kane and Crosby, to me, those two guys should be right there because even if you were to cut some of McDavid's nice stats, uh, quarter down where he has 64 points, if he was right there with Dreisaitl, seven points less, I still believe the Oilers would be in the same position they're in, still be in the playoffs, but Kane and Crosby do more for their teams than McDavid does. He's not a carrier. He has help. He really does. You can't say the same about the others right now. You can't. That was my rant on the NHL. Now moving on to our final sport topic, Major League Baseball. Then the New York Yankees are continuing the theme of owning the Orioles. Jordan Montgomery pitching a gym, which I said they'd win and they did. Garrett Cole with 13 strikeouts yesterday, 7-2 to two Aaron Judge, a three-run bomb. They're a really good team. Yankees look back on track. Uh, we'll see how Talion looks tonight in a Yankees uniform. Uh, Judge has the night off for giving him some rest. Uh, but this team is looking like they're back in the stretch, playing really, really well. Uh, but this baseball season is also fun to watch. The Phillies are doing well. The Mets got their first win against them yesterday, but the Phillies are winning right now uh, behind the strong pitching of Aaron Nola. I think Joe Girardi's hitting on all cylinders. The Braves won the first of a doubleheader. got their first win this season against the Nationals uh, in a great win for them. Ronald Acuna heated up this game. He's playing well. Uh, Red Sox on the board as well. Tatis doesn't need surgery on his shoulder, which is a good thing for the Padres. If the Padres want to win the division, want to win it all, they need Fernando Tatis, who was injured uh, swinging. But it looks like the manager said won't need surgery, anything like that. He'll probably be on the IL for a bit, but they need him back. Uh, Staying with Bellinger for the uh, Dodgers, but it's all very interesting, culminating with the biggest topic, which is still the Houston Astros. Yes, they have a great lineup. They have players who can hit, players who can pitch. Uh, They have it, but they are still getting hated on. They're playing... L.A. right now, the uh, Angels in their past series, they were in L.A., and they just can't escape the hate. Uh, Inflatable trash can getting thrown down on the field, getting called the Trastros, uh, and it's deserving. Uh, The Houston Astros deserve all this hate. They couldn't get it last year because there was a pandemic. Again, like I said, no fans in the stands. 
No fans to boo the Astros or torment them. Baseball fans weren't going to forget that. They had a year to sit on that, watch the Astros again, make it to the ALCS, almost win it and make it to the World Series. So they're not forgetting about it. You know, they can torment the Astros as long as they want. People still pick on A-Rod for uh, steroids and Hank Aaron and Barry Bonds. They still all pick on them. Won't let people into the Hall of Fame because of that. And they're doing that, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later. Guess what? We're going to see with this for the Astros for a long time. I know Dusty Baker, the manager for the Astros, was not a part of it. He says they paid. But no, they haven't paid. Nothing happened to them. Nothing serious happened. No ring was taken back. No ban of postseason play. Everything went on as normal except the couple managers uh, that got suspended, but they're back at jobs now. Uh, that's the only thing. So no, the Astros paid for nothing. The players paid for nothing. Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Carlos Correa, and all of them on that team have paid for nothing. A little ridicule, booing, signs, throwing an inflatable trash can. If that keeps on happening, nobody gets hurt, and that's what happens. That's the worst you have to endure. Uh, then you know what, man up and grow up, Houston. Because you're going to be getting that all season long. All season. Doesn't matter where you're at, who you're playing against. A's, Tigers, Mariners, Rockies, Yankees. Doesn't matter. Rangers, you are going to get booed night in and night out when you are away from Minute. I don't know if it's Minute Maid or Lemonade or Parker. Wherever Houston plays, uh, they will get booed time and time again when they're not at Minute Maid Park, which is fine with me. think it's fine for all of the MLB fans to get into it, let fans into the stands, and boo the Houston Trastros. They deserve it. They cheated. You can live with cheating. You can still have a ring you can endure a little bit of heat. So continue to get jeered, Astros. I love it. Baseball's back. We'll have more baseball talk, more on this podcast daily. That's all I have. Hope everybody has a great Wednesday. Enjoys the rest of the week. I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye, everybody.